Good morning. Welcome to the Lord's house today. Just a moment of uh, transparency, a moment of vulnerability. It's at this time that most preachers are thinking, I wonder if my message is squared away, you know. And, and we begin, because the devil works on us as well, we begin to have self-doubt. You know, we begin to wonder, you know, is this going to be worth your time and am I going to look good? It's just a moment of vulnerability here. And, and I got to tell you, I'm not feeling that well that way today. You know, I'm totally leaned in. I, I believe that this is an important message. I believe this is an important series. And I can't wait to get to the text, really, and, and talk about this thing. Because we're talking about ideal family. And what I've discovered in this series and, and just renewed in my own mind is no matter how well you do in other aspects of your life, your relationships are what determine how blessed you are. Amen? It's really true. In fact, we looked at Ecclesiastes. I was fortunate to be the teaching pastor on the first weekend of this series when we talked about all in the family. You remember that one? And we talked about, you know, family isn't necessarily always uh, marriage. Paul was not married. He says it's not for everybody. It isn't always, even if you're married, having children. But it is always important, primary, and intimate relationships. You know, special relationships God intends for us to have because the scripture says it is not good for a person to live alone. And we looked at Ecclesiastes chapter 4, where Solomon, uh, perhaps speaking a little bit about himself or, or maybe in his observation of life, said there was a fellow who was doing well in everything that he touched. In fact, he was making money hand over fist, and, and he was also enjoying the success of his labor, not just money, but, you know, the, the sense of accomplishment. And he said, this is miserable business. Now, most of us would say, let me be that guy. He said, no, this is miserable business because without relationships, why am I working so hard? To what end? For two are better than one, and they have a good return on their labor. And so he talked about the importance of relationships. So this series is crucial. And today we're going to talk about how to maintain those relationships. Because if you have them, they're going to need some work. You know, how do you maximize your return. And as we begin, whether you're a Christian or not, this is true about life. God is the creator of life and our relationships and the values that bring satisfaction on earth. And uh, I've discovered at least three universal truths about the nature of family. Uh, whether you're a believer or not, you'll recognize these to be so. The first is this. You can choose your friends but not your family. You know, you're born into a family. Say, well, thank you, Captain Obvious. You know, you're pretty, pretty self-explanatory that I'm born into a family. Do you really have to say that? Yeah, I think it's uh, pretty obvious that you're born into a family. But what's not so obvious is the impact of that relationship. You don't get to choose your family, but your family has a tremendous impact on you. Now, for some of you, because I know when we have Mother's Day or Father's Day, you know, I read the Facebook post, and I know that some of you had the ideal, you know, nurturing primary relationships with your moms and your dads and your siblings, and, and I see your pictures today, and they're just wonderful, and not all of us had those experiences, and sometimes, you know, Facebook can be a kind of a difficult thing for those to look at who are, are feeling their lack of ability to travel, their lack of meaningful relationships, their lack of love in their life, maybe even their lack of, um, of a family of origin that was as loving as yours. 
You know, some of us may think, well, you may have had that experience, but it wasn't my experience. You know, you don't get to choose your family. In fact, I was born into a a middle child in a family of seven children, two adults, mom and dad. So there were nine of us. And we still have occasion to gather together. And sometimes when I'm with these people, I think, who are these folks anyway? You know, if you saw us together in a room this size, I doubt that you would pick two of us to be in the same family. We look nothing alike. And if you go a little deeper and you think about what we did with our lives, the careers that we had, or our socioeconomic status, or, or even our faith expression, or even the geography and where we live, you know, we have so little in common. <laughs> you know, we do. In fact, I wonder, would I even meet these people if I weren't, married, if I weren't uh, born into that family? And if I did meet them, would we even hang together? Probably not. And yet, because I was born into that family, the ties I have with these strange people who are my brothers and sisters, and now their children, their, my nieces, my nephews, and, and their spouses, and now their grandchildren, you know, those are the most important bonds that I have. Friends come and friends go, but family is forever. Point number two. Family ties are never neutral. They aren't. You know, they are either a positive or they are a negative in your life. In fact, this is so important, and uh, Andy did a great job of talking about this last week. This is so important that I hope you realize this early and that your influence on your children, your grandchildren, your son-in-laws, your daughter-in-laws will be a positive thing. In fact, if you're taking notes and, and you uh, sometimes try to gleam uh, a book that we would recommend, there was a, a book that was written, it's now over a decade ago, by Gary Smalley and John Trent called uh, The Gift of the Blessing. And they talk about how important it is that you be intentional to bless your children. In fact, one of our staff people this past week or a week or two ago uh, read a portion of the writing of John Trent, who is still on that theme. It's kind of his theme of life and theme of ministry. And they were actually holding a service of blessing for their 16-year-old daughter. And they had done it also for another child, where they bring friends and family, and they just spend an evening just blessing this child and telling this child just how significant they are in life and, and what they hope and dream for them. It's a powerful day in that person's life, but it shouldn't just be a day. It should be an ongoing thing. I realized this a, a few years ago. In fact, I wrote a poem about it when one of my children, one of our children, were uh, being married. And, and uh, I think as, as they start off their life, you know, they think that this is all new. That, you know, that they are not a part of an ongoing lineage. That despite how their mom and dad were, you know, we're going to be different. We're going to be better. And, and yet it amuses me to think that way because someday they're going to get up, look in the mirror, and they're going to see me there. You know, wherever they go, you know. Some food, you know, something somebody says is going to remind them of me. I'm always going to be with them the rest of their life. And they don't know that yet, but it's true. And, and so I wrote a poem to kind of summarize that. It goes like this. Today we lead. We chart the way. Our children trust in what we say. As young from the nest, each day they go at first not far within our sight. But soon beyond, they take their flight. Tomorrow they will blaze the trail. Their spouse will help them hoist a sail. And off they'll go along life's way. It will seem all new. As if never done. Ah, but the past lives on in the course they run. 
The past lies deep within our soul. It's memories lost, but it holds control of the way we think and the dreams we dream. The twig we bend will that way grow. It's important work, a child's soul. Your twig has been bent, I tell you. And the influence of your family will always be with you. Family ties are never neutral. And finally, friends come and friends may go, but family is forever. You say, well, I don't know if that's true. My dad left us a long time ago. I was raised by a single mom or, you know, or my husband left or my wife left and family also leaves. Oh, yeah, they leave. But it's different. It's different when a family person leaves because uh, that will be a defining moment in your life. A friend may leave and that will not be the same. But when a family leaves, definitely it has a lingering impact. Families remain with us forever. In, in fact, uh, this came home to roost in, in a really significant way some 20 years ago or so. Uh, I know this to, to be about the time because there was a, a student in our school who was uh, 13 at the time and is about the same age as, as my children who are in their 30s now. And I think, wow, that was 20 years ago. And, and, and this student had flu-like symptoms and it was right in December, right before Christmas. And, and uh, you know, they were treating it, you know, as a minor uh, illness. And, and as he didn't improve, uh, he got really sick and they discovered it was leukemia. And uh, I was going to see him in the hospital and while I was there, I went also to see a, an elderly couple that were in the hospital for some kind of a checkup, some kind of a test that uh, it proved to be life-threatening as well. And I remember visiting them, and they asked, so how's Nick? I thought, how do you even know Nick? Um, you know, I was curious about the relationship because I don't know how you guys are all related or how you know each other. But I happen to know that one family was lifelong in this area and one family had been imported. So there was no way that they had grown up together or had an influence. And, and uh, they immediately said, we had a son that died of leukemia about 50 years ago. And they had tears in their eyes. I thought, that happened 50 years ago. And it was still right there under the surface, you know. The power of family is forever. In fact, in an opening uh, sermon that I had about all in the family, I remember quoting about some of the soldiers who had died in Afghanistan and Iraq from that book called The Final Salute. And uh, uh, even though they had died, a family member said, you know, it's not an ending. It's not a period at the end of the sentence. It's a semicolon. You know, their story will continue to have influence, continue to have legs. And it's the same for you. No matter whether there's been divorce in your family, desertion, uh, you know, no matter what your family of origin, even if you didn't know your mom and dad, even if you've been adopted, you know, uh, even if you're a foster child or a refugee, family is forever. It defines us. It need not cripple us. It need not cripple us. But it does have an influence on us. And sometimes even if you've had great struggle, you should praise God because your struggle will make you stronger than those who maybe have had you know, that ideal family from the get-go. Well, the question is, you know, what about today? The question that is on my mind today is we think about the power of family. So how can I maximize the blessing of my family? And how can I minimize the trauma? That's the question. And that's what I hope to resolve today. How? By keeping it real. Just keeping it real by, by constantly going back and, you know, Clearing out the trash, carrying out the rubbish, the rubbish, and, and reestablishing the relationships. Here's what God has to say about it in his word. The basis of our text today from Matthew chapter 18. 
He says, if that person in that close and primary relationship to you, a brother or sister, sins, and um, go, point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if, you know, only if, if they've listened to you and you've gone to them and, and, and it's over. But if, if they do not listen to you, then take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And then it's over. It's resolved. The relationship is restored. But if, but if it's not resolved and they still refuse to listen, then, then invite some Christians to engage with you in this concern because this is God's work. And if they refuse to listen even to Christians, not, not just a building but a body of believers, then treat them as you would a pagan and a tax collector. What does that mean? Spit on them, you know, walk the other side of the street, ignore them, don't take their calls. Really, is that how Jesus treated tax collectors? You know, your master sits and eats with tax collectors. You know, it's just acknowledging that they don't get it. They, they don't understand the values that you and I understand because we are, you know, united with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So just acknowledge that they aren't lining up with these values. They don't care about their Savior. And, and so they're a mission project for you. It's not that you should despise them and put them away. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. We're going to come back to that one. Let me just say that, that first of all, context matters. Context truly matters. You know, uh, this has been the context of our series on the big screen behind me here. You know, it, if, if you're just tuning in today on live stream, or, or if you haven't been a part of this series because you've been on vacation and traveling, I highly recommend that you go back and get the Growing Deeper Bible Studies and and. Whoever is in that primary relationship with you, that you would study that maybe even together. Or at least you study it alone and, and maybe listen to some of those archive messages. Because uh, just correcting behavior and restoring a relationship uh, is out of context if you first don't understand the value of the relationship. And when we talked in that first week about all in the family, we talked about the fact that not everybody's meant for marriage. Not everybody's meant for children, but everybody's meant for relationships. And it's not good for man to be alone. That's how God chooses to primarily bless us. That's why today is so important. That's why I pray that I don't get in the way of this message. Because God wants to bless you. He wants your life to be full. And it's primarily going to happen through relationships. And, and so that first week, all in the family, about the value of relational living uh, is important. And then the next week when uh, Pastor Garrett came out and talked about... Um, Who's the boss? You know, there has to be order. There has to be structure in the world. God is a God of order and God of structure. And he unpacked Ephesians 5, maybe the best teaching on Ephesians 5 I've ever heard, about how we are commended, you know, to respect and love our spouses, but not coerced out of reverence for Christ and out of blessing in our life. Powerful message if, if you're having struggles with authority in your home. And then last week, family ties, you know, about the fact that we are an influence, as Andy came up and talked about snowplow parents and helicopter parents. And, and, and when you think you're actually blessing your children, you may be crippling them and, and how to get that straight. Context matters. Context in this whole series matters. And this is just a, a fourth in, a, in an important series of messages. And then even today as we look at Matthew 18, the context, the biblical context for today is also important. And you know, that last point on the large screen because just before Jesus gets into this teaching area, he tells a story about a man who had 100 sheep. 
and 99 were right there with him. 99 were, you know, good to go. And yet as he checked him in that night, one was missing. Ah. He said, well, I have 99. One isn't so bad. And he put the 99 at risk. And he says, you guys take care of each other. I got to go after the one that's lost. And, and so there's a context for this teaching today that, you know, even one matters. One matters. And, and you should care about that relationship. You shouldn't say, well, I still have plenty of other relationships. And then after this teaching, we, we hear about a man who had a huge debt that he owed to a, to a financier. And it was a debt that he couldn't begin to pay. And, and the financier took pity on him and he forgave his debt. Just an incredible thing, especially in that culture. Normally they would go to debtor's prison and they'd have to work for him. And his family would have to work for him the rest of their life as slaves. And he forgave him. And then that man who was forgiven went out and found a person who owed him just a little bit of a debt. And he would not forgive that person. And he did put him in jail until his debt would be paid. And when the financier heard it, he said, what? You've been forgiven so much and you could not forgive someone so little? Of course, it's a parable. And he says, if you've been forgiven by God, you've all been forgiven by God. More sins than you even know. Can you not overlook an offense of a brother or a sister that by comparison is so minuscule? And so the context even for today's teaching is very, very important. The world even understands this. And and it's just so essential that we maintain healthy relationships. In fact, uh, as senior pastor, I'm doing some teaching right now with our staff on the five dysfunctions of a team. Maybe you've heard this book, Patrick Glencioni. It's been out there a while, but it's still always on the bestseller list of of business books and he talks about things that destroy a team because you know whether your team is your your own family or whether it's a business environment Lencioni says it's not finance it's not strategy it's not technology it is teamwork that remains the ultimate competitive advantage both because it is so powerful and because it is so rare he once interviewed one of the most successful men in all of America and that man said to him, if you could get all your people in your organization rowing in the same direction, I believe you could dominate any industry, in any market, against any competition, any time. You know, teamwork and maintaining the team, maintaining the relationships are so important. And in the five dysfunctions, the t- two first dysfunctions that he talks about is the absence of trust. And he's not talking about, I trust predictive behavior. I know how this person is going to react, and I can anticipate that. You know, I have a uh, well-grounded understanding of of how they behave. He says, no, I'm talking about vulnerability. I'm talking about transparency, that that you know these people, that you know their life. You know the pressures they have even outside of their job. You know a little bit about their family. You've developed that sense of, of intimacy with them, that sense of a primary relationship. And And then uh, the second dysfunction is fear of conflict. You know, if you have that kind of trust with somebody, then you can mine for conflict. And you can deal with the things that would destroy most organizations. And you can call them out on the table because there will be no collateral damage. You know, there will be no ongoing dysfunction because of the trust that has been established. And, And if that's true for business, how much more important is it for us as family? Solomon put it in such a pithy way, and and pithy is a word I love. If you're on staff, you know that. I like things to be pithy. Uh, Solomon put it in such a short little proverb when he said, better is open rebuke than hidden love. You know, better is somebody who says, listen, can we talk? You know, there's something that's bugging me. 
rather than hidden love. You know, that's not true love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted because they are a friend, because you have that relationship. But an enemy multiplies kisses. I like the way the old King James said it. You know, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. An enemy will say, yeah, you just keep doing that. That's, that's great. I love it when you do that. Yeah, see how that works out for you. You know, and then they laugh at you behind your back. But a friend, a family member won't do that. There are three steps in this teaching from Matthew chapter 18 that I, that I think are crucial to maintaining relationships. Maximizing the blessing, minimizing the trauma in your primary relationships that God wants us to understand. The first is engage the threat. In your relationship, engage the threat. On the big screen behind us, we have Jesus walking on the beach with Peter. Now this is after Peter had denied Jesus, you know, three times when Jesus needed him the most. Now, do you think Jesus needed Peter to say he was sorry? Not at all. Jesus loved him whether he apologized or didn't apologize, but Jesus was concerned about the relationship. He was concerned about Peter's own self-value. And he knew that he had to restore that relationship with Peter and, and Jesus. And you, as a follower of Jesus, took the first step. And, and this happened after the resurrection, you know, when he told them to go to Galilee and I will meet you there. Uh, and he showed up and, and they had some fish for breakfast and, and they were all amazed that here was the Lord and... 40 days he was on the earth after his resurrection. And this was one of the most important stories recorded for us. And he says, Peter, let's take a walk. And he walked with Peter down the beach. And he said, Peter, do you love me? He said, Lord, I know what you're thinking. You know, I denied you. I love you. He said, Peter, come on, man. Be one of my disciples. You have not disqualified yourself. Feed my sheep. They walked a bit further, maybe talked about a few other things. And he said, Peter, do you really love me? Lord, I, I really do love you. I know I messed up, but I love you with all my heart. And he said, Peter, step up, step in, man. You are not disqualified. Feed my sheep. Carry on this ministry, Peter. And the third time he asked him, Peter, do you love me? Three times Peter denied, three times he was asked. And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know, you would know even now if I was not being honest. Yes, I truly, desperately love you. He said, man, step up, step in. Minister to my lambs. He restored the relationship. If your brother sins against you, go. If your brother sins against you, go. Don't wait. Don't wait for them to apologize. They owe you an apology, and they may owe you an apology. But Jesus wasn't waiting for Peter to apologize. Step up, step in. I know it's not automatic. You could even say, well, I'm bigger than that. You know, it wasn't that big of a deal. You know, I can overlook the offense. After all, I'm a Christian. But what would that have done for Peter? Jesus certainly could have overlooked the offense. I'm sure he already had forgotten the offense. But for Peter's sake, he said, we have something to talk about. And he restored the relationship. You know, if a brother or sister sins against you, go. And then secondly, engage them in private. You know, protect their dignity. Don't let this become a matter of pride. Don't, don't let this be one-upsmanship. You know, it's interesting as he goes through the, the process of restoring a person, he keeps it at the lowest possible escalation. First, it's just between the two of you. 
in private. You know, uh, don't go talking to everybody else about what somebody did to you or about how they're behaving towards you. You know, if you have a problem with somebody who's primary in your relationship, go personally in private. Resolve the situation. Step number two. I call this the the frozen corollary. You know, <laughs> maybe you've seen the movie. Maybe you've heard the song. You know, <laughs> I'm sure if you have a child in your life, you've heard the song from Adina Menzel. Let it go. <laughs> she says, "Let it go." I love the closing phrase there because the song is powerful not just because it's in a children's movie but because there's, there's a deeper message there and whether you know it or not, subliminally, it's speaking to a truth that you recognize. She says, let it go, let it go. And I'll rise like the break of dawn. Let it go, let it go. That perfect girl is gone. You know, life isn't perfect. Life is messy. Families are messy. Here I stand in the light of day. Let the storm rage on. How's it go? The cold Never bothered me anyway. You know, I'm going to let it go. I think that's important. You know, after you've confronted a person, after you've had the conversation, I don't even like the word confront. You know, just after you spoke honestly, you know, this, this thing bugs me. This thing bothers me. Can we just talk about it? And then it's over. You just let it go. You don't have to say, well, I finally had that conversation. And no, it's done. It's over. The relationship is restored. We're talking about how to maximize the relationship and how to minimize the trauma. This is really not, and that's the second point, it's really uh, about restoration. It's not about justice. It's not about making somebody pay. The legal system will do that. We're not interested in that. You know, in our families, we're not interested in making our children pay for an offense. We're interested in restoring the relationship. You know, some children take more effort than others. It doesn't matter, you know, when they say, well, you did this for them and you're doing this for me and that doesn't seem fair. It's not about fair. It's just about whatever it takes to restore the relationship. That's what we're about in this matter of, um, of rebooting, of restarting, you know, of releasing the past. You know, just let it go. I don't understand why some people want to hold on. Why some people have such long memories about past offenses. It's toxic. It's lethal. More for you than for them. And more for a relationship that is the primary means by which God wants to bless you. Why would you hold on? Why would you say this is just like before? And you undermine and you don't allow that relationship to to mature and be all that it is intended to be. As a means by which God will bless your life. Step number three. And uh, I like to put it this way, that rejection is not an option. You know, if they say, you know, get out of my face. I'm not interested. I don't want to restore the relationship. It's just not an option in God's plan. And he makes that very clear in the next few verses, 16 and 17, when he says it this way. He says, if they will not listen to you, don't settle for that. Take others along. I don't know if you've had any experience with, um, with interventions, whether through alcoholism or any kind of compulsive behavior, drugs or whatever. Uh, but there are interventions when you, you bring other people because they haven't listened to you. And, and notice that most people, based on the truth of God, when they do an intervention, don't bring people that just agree with you and can pound them into submission. No, they bring people with a relationship, a People who this person knows 
love them. That's the, that's the power of telling others. So I wouldn't gang up on a person with somebody who agrees with me and would put them in their place, but rather uh, somebody who may not have the greatest relationship with me but is dear to them so that I could restore the relationship so that it's not just me against them. It's not just some kind of a you know, a little personality conflict that there's something that needs to be resolved. And, and, and if that doesn't work, then involve other Christians if this is a Christian person because we're, we're hopefully talking about people who both share the same value. And if they refuse to listen to other Christians, if that's not important to them, then acknowledge, ding, ding, these people are not a Christian. You have more primary work to do, and that's to share Christ with them so that they might come to understand that Jesus died for them, you know, and, and he wants the best life possible for them uh, to be forgiven and to be forgiving people. You say, well, how often do I need to do this? Until it's resolved. How often do you need to quit, try to quit smoking? I don't know, and, until you quit smoking. How often do you know, need to go to detox? As many times as it takes until you get detoxed. You know, how often do you need to work on a relationship? As often it takes until the relationship is restored. You know, the Lord is not willing to say, well, you've tried. No, it's an ongoing, unrelenting effort to resolve the conflict. So that you can have the relationship that God intends because it's through relationships that he primarily desires to bless you. In fact, here's how Paul put it in Romans 12. Never pay back evil for evil. Be at peace with everyone. As much as it depends on you. Never take your own revenge, but leave room for God to act. For does he not say, vengeance is mine, let me take care of it? No, instead, here's your activity. If your enemy, if that person who has attacked the relationship or or hurt the relationship is hungry, feed him. Acts of kindness back to them. It confuses your enemy. And if he's thirsty, give him a drink. It's really just a metaphor for continuing to extend love to, from those who are offending. In so doing, you will heap burning coals upon their head. In so doing, you're going to make it hard for them to live with their attitudes. Do not overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. And then finally, just a parting thought from verse 18. He says, Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. You say, well, what does all that mean? You know, if you've restored the relationship, God is praising. You know, angels rejoice over one sinner who repents. There's, there's a party in heaven. But if it hasn't been restored, then it's unresolved. It's still unresolved. It's still work to be done. You know, it, it's, it's still a concern in heaven. You know, it, it's still bound. It still needs to be dealt with. You are not released from the relationship. As long as you have life and breath, as long as the relationship still exists, God says you are his agent on earth. What happens in heaven should happen on earth. What happens on earth should model what happens in heaven. And God's motive never changes towards us. I love the opening song. In fact, I loved all the music today. Yeah, that intro to It Is Well. Uh, despite the trauma of life, it is still well with my soul. But I love that opening song. We spoke about God's love. God's love never fails. It never gives up. 
He never runs out on me. If you are God in your relationship, you never give up. Your love never fails. You never run out on a relationship. It is God's means to bless you and also be a blessing in this world. It's the most powerful witness that you can make of how God loves, how God extends grace, how, how God shows mercy towards you as you demonstrate that toward others. Let me pray. Gracious Lord, it's been a powerful series, and we thank you for the, for the power of your word. It, it shouldn't surprise us, and yet it always does, you know, how real it is two centuries ago, and, and yet it's like it was written today. And, and although it was written for others, it's like it was written for me. Help me understand, Lord, the, the value and the power of relationships and, and what I can do to maximize the blessing and minimize the trauma. And help me to realize as, as one who knows you and knows your love that I have a, a primary responsibility uh, to be the one who steps up and steps in, who looses the sin or, or who calls it unresolved and, 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 and fills the ongoing responsibility until it is resolved. May God bless you. May God bless me. May God bless us in this work. We pray in his name. Amen.